0: Soul Conversations, a podcast where two Korean adoptees unpack what it means to be Asian and adopted by discussing culture, race, history, and sharing adoptee stories. I'm Shanae. And I'm Benny. On this week's episode, we are talking about reconnecting with and exploring our Korean heritage, and we're super excited to be here with fellow Korean adoptee Patrick Armstrong. Many of you know Patrick is one of the three co hosts of The John Chi Show, but he is also the founder of the nonprofit All Times Are Local and is the co-creator of The Adoptee Project on Instagram.
1: Welcome in, Patrick. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. That was a great intro, so I feel like I was trying to bite off more than I could chew this year, but you have a lot of things going on.
2: Yeah, it always seems like there's something on the calendar. So it's been a busy year, surprisingly, for being inside. You know, uh, there's a lot of stuff going on and a lot of personal things going on. So always finding ways to stay busy. That's good. That's good. So Patrick,
1: can you kind of explain how we got in touch with each other?
2: Yeah. So I've been following Shanae on Instagram for a while now and just really connected with a lot of her, uh, a lot of the things that she writes about and posts about. And I myself have been on this journey of just discovering my Korean identity and my Asian identity and the adoptee part and all of that. And that has involved me doing the podcast, The John Chi Show, and starting things like The Adoptee Project. And so being just active online in the online spaces a little bit more and kind of just organically like liking, I think, Shanae and I liking each other's stuff. And I saw that she posted about this new announcement that she was having uh, coming out. And then it was this, this podcast, which was really awesome. And then it was funny because she mess or uh, One of the comments, I think she was like, uh yeah, we're gonna reach out to you or I'm gonna reach out to you. And then that's what it was. So that's kind of how that happened. Uh like a lot of things in the pandemic, very much on in the <laughs> online space. We found e- each finding each other.
0: Yeah.
1: I must say that you have a very good podcast voice. I'm very jealous. You have a deep <laughs> you have a deep voice. Wish I could do that all the time. I have to be conscious about that, but
2: No man, uh, you, sound yeah, I- you sound great. You sound great.
1: Thank you you want to talk about an overview of yourself, kind of introduce you to our listeners?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Patrick Armstrong, and I was born in Seoul in 1990 and transracially adopted by a white family in rural Indiana, very small town. Um, Grew up there uh, predominantly white, uh, grew up there my whole 18 formative years went to college at Purdue and then after that went to bounced around worked a lot of different industries and eventually found myself in Chicago actually no found myself in Houston doing volunteer relief work after Hurricane Harvey and then that really spurred this interest in like philanthropic work and things like that so when I came home from Houston my sister and I started brainstorming ideas which eventually became what would be known as the All Times or Local Foundation, which is our nonprofit. We eventually started that in Chicago after I moved up there with my partner in 2018. Yeah, 2018, and then we started it in 2019. And then in 2020, mid-pandemic, we got some opportunities here in Indianapolis, where I currently reside, and have found our way back here. And it was during that time that I found myself on this journey of Uh, identity reclamation and self-discovery and just reconnecting with a heritage that I didn't even know that I was missing. Because for so long, I just was content in my life. I didn't, I was content, but didn't know. And so that's kind of what brings us to today. In May of last year, I just kind of fell into it and hit the ground running. So that's a little bit about me.
0: So was there any, it doesn't sound like there was, but was there any particular catalyst for you to have that moment of realizing or thinking, I want to explore this further? Or did it just come about?
2: Yeah, so I think it. Was, I, I really think it was just a confluence of, of, of all the events that were going on in my life at that time. Not only were we transitioning back to Indianapolis, but like racial tension uh, with the George Floyd murder and uh, Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor. That was all really reaching a fever pitch at that point. And, you know, it's got everyone kind of looking inwards, uh, myself included. And then we're also, I'm also engaged and we're getting married. And so, thinking about not only thinking about all of these other things that are happening out in society, but in my personal life, thinking about, you know, family and, you know, my life in the future. So, I've talked about this before, but we were sitting here on the couch one night and we were watching always be my baby with Ali Wong and Randall park. And I just remember really connecting something like tri- about that movie, just triggering just this flow of emotion. And this really like, honestly it was like the after learning about it, we'll talk about it more, but learning about the Korean concept of Han um, feeling that I think, and not knowing what it was and turning to her and saying, I really got to, I need to learn about this. You know, when we have kids, like, what am I, I don't have anything to pass down to them. And so that it was really just like, it just kind of everything fell into place. Um, Tragedy and like success for, for us and just change. A lot of different factors at play, but it was really like a timing thing too. You know, it was just the right time, I think, to have that realization.
0: Yeah, definitely sounds that way. So when you started this journey, did you originally want to start with the heritage piece? Because I know you've done a lot just from following on Instagram, you know, you really have dug deep into the adoptee piece. Was that how you anticipated starting? Did you kind of flip flop back and forth?
2: Yeah. So when I started, I was very much wanting to learn about Asian Americans and like my Korean heritage specifically. I wasn't really thinking about adoption or being an adoptee. Um, Although the first thing that I read that kind of kicked off a lot of this uh, more studious part of of like learning about history was a a study that was sent to me called Too Korean to be White, Too White to be Korean. And That was about 11 adoptees uh, that were interviewed for this pretty extensive study. And that all those feelings that they were feeling in that study and voicing, it was like the first time that I had ever seen myself and my experiences on paper from another person's perspective, even though I grew up with a younger sister who was also adopted from Korea. So make of that what you will. But um I think what right at the beginning, I was very interested in really connecting to that Asian culture and, and Korean culture. So that's what I was seeking out. Lots of resources, trying to figure out and learn a lot about that. The podcast, Dear Asian Americans, uh, which is really a catalyst for a lot of the stuff I'm doing now, was a great resource for that. Connected me to a lot of people who were very receptive to me wanting to learn. And so recommended me a lot of great books and a lot of good places to go to read more articles and just read essentially just read and read uh, as much as I can or or as much as I could. So it was very much that. And then when we started the podcast, it took a turn a little bit because while we started the podcast with the idea of talking about culture, um, I very much after we started talking to our guests got interested in in adoption itself and being an adoptee and the history of adoption. I think there was always these through lines of our first guests that were really interesting to me about just kind of these narratives that you hear over and over again about being grateful or lucky or whatever the case is, you know, the, these similar things. And then it also came about with a book that I was recommended called Adopted Territory by Alina Kim. And that book, I consider kind of like my Bible for all of these adoptee things, because even though she is not an adoptee herself, she laces an ethnography that's both oral history and like really deep historical history. So it's all tied together in a really fascinating way. So after that started, so for probably like three months, three or four months, I was interested in culture. And then it became very much about adoptee stuff. And that carried through from September to March. And then March, I've kind of went back and realized that I was so soul laser focused on the adoptee issues that I wanted to learn a little. I needed to go back and learn more about culture and especially in the light of everything going on in the, uh, to the Asian American community right now, um, really feeling like I wanted to get more connected. So it's been very strong in either direction, but now it's also about finding the balance. So I think I'm trying to find the balance of those two separate things. And also all of the other communities that I want to learn about as well, there's no shortage of learning. So not really bouncing back and forth, but kind of going from one end of the spectrum to the other to try and find that middle ground.
0: Mm-hmm. I can only imagine what your bookshelf looks like right now.
2: Just- <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's a lot of comic books, gonna- actually.
0: No,
2: well, okay, so...
1: First of all, yeah, I was just going to say, Patrick, we need to exchange some books sometimes uh, because (laughs) it sounds like there's a lot of interesting things that you're reading up on. I'm just hearing a lot of your story more in depth right now. We kind of had a uh, we had a call earlier on this week to kind of hear more about your story. But what I'm interested in knowing, first of all, is you just turned 31, 30, 31, 31. Happy, happy birthday, by the way, to you you and Shanae.
0: Thanks. Yes. Happy birthday today. <laughs> Thank you.
1: So you mentioned there was a lot of things that kind of came to fruition in the last couple of years. What was your mindset though, growing up in your teenage years in your early to mid twenties? Was there ever a time in your life where you thought about your adoption or your Korean heritage more or less?
2: Um, that's a great question. Um. I actually, in my teen years, and my adolescence, I never thought about it. Uh, I actively ran away from it, I like to say. Well, not that I like to say it, but just stating reality at that time. You know, I think that I didn't have any of those racial mirrors uh, when I was growing up, aside from my sister. And if I did, I just really was not aware of them. You know, I was actually... Okay, so, sorry, I I like to go off on tangents, so I won't do that. No, it's fine. Spotlight's all yours. (laughs) I appreciate that. But um, So, adolescence, I really wasn't thinking about it at all. I, uh, I had no language to talk about it. I had no one to talk about it with, honestly. So, when I got into college, I was slowly diversifying my mindset. Like, in college, at Purdue in particular, I took some... Black author literature classes, black literature classes that were really helped like expand and like open my mind to other communities of color. Uh, that's why I also took into, like an indigenous a- anthropology class, which was really interesting. And I really learned a lot about history. And I took a couple history classes that really piqued my interest about the way systems get set up in this country and globally, and how those systems are used to affect Communities of color globally as well, but the, the, it's so interesting because as interested I was in all other marginalized groups, I never took an interest in like Asian culture or connecting with that uh, part of myself. And I don't know if it was because I was Asian and I'd always run away from that or what the case was. You know, I talk about I just recently talked about uh, kind of the erasure of my own identity and how that came about because there was nothing like that when I was growing up to really build a foundation off of, you know, I, I just continued moving on without ever going for that. I had an opportunity at Purdue one time to connect with another Asian person uh, because there's a lot of international students that go to Purdue, particularly from different Asian countries. And I totally botched it. The person came up to me and was trying to like introduce themselves and I think they were speaking some form of Mandarin and I just kind of waved them off, you know, because I did not, I don't speak Mandarin. I don't speak any language, uh, other than English. And, you know, I just, I couldn't see myself. I felt, it felt almost not hostile, but it felt almost like the imposter syndrome immediately took over me. And it was like, I'm going to be found out right now. Um, mm-hmm. in this, in this moment. So like there's those moments that are that are that are in my mind that I feel like are really pivotal to where I had a choice to either pursue this like this part of myself and my culture and my heritage, or I could continue down the path uh, that I had been on. You know, this really whitewashed, not necessarily colorblind, but colorblind to my own ethnicity. Uh, that path, you know, the path that I had been on, and unfortunately, I chose the latter for 29 years. So. Yeah, to answer your question, not re- I didn't not really ever engage with that. I never really had even like a desire to. You know, I I as adoptees we always get asked a question, you know, where or why haven't you sought your birth family out or or things like that, you know. And I just at a point in time I just never had a desire to, and I don't know if it was cuz I got asked a bunch of times or because I got super content in the life that I had and the life that I have, but it just never was a thing for me. So you know, I I do regret it a little bit, but I also think that all those things had to happen for me to end up sitting here on March 24th, 2021, having a conversation with two other Korean adoptees. You know, I think all of those things had to happen for me to be able to be doing this now.
1: We want to dive deeper into more of your story about reconnecting with your your Korean heritage. But one thing I I don't want to skip out on is you're kind of coming to a point now where you're actively seeking out a lot of your Korean heritage and even your adoption story. And you mentioned earlier that you're planning to have kids in the future. And part of the reason why you wanted to get more in touch and more in tune and more aligned with your Korean heritage is to, you know, have your kids grow up with some sense of that culture. And Sinead, I would love to have your input on this too, as well. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I just want to, I'm curious to know what that driver is and you know, what the importance is for your children someday to have that connection, even though all of our stories are much more complex than what it seems on the surface.
2: Yeah, um, I actually really appreciate you asking me that, because that's something I've actually been thinking about a lot the last, honestly, the past like three days. Um, And so my answer to that question is this, you read a lot about something that's called like a hojuk, um, in Korean culture. And so that's like a family register, essentially. And for a lot of adoptees, we don't have those or we're not on those. And so I think initially, like, it, I think a lot of it was like health related, you know, what am I going to pass down genetically? But as I learn more about the culture, and I learn more about not only what I learn, but how I feel, uh, especially in connection to everything. That's something that's been on my mind. And, you know, it's, it's been about legacy a little bit and what I want to leave behind for our kids. And I don't want them to grow up the way that I grew up missing out on those things. Not that I'm assigning blame to anyone for the situation I grew up in, except for the institutions that put me in that situation, which we can talk about if you want, but I want to be able to have that. I want to be able to leave that and start like a, like a real tradition that they can continue and carry on. Um, And so like a hojuk is like something that we, and I apologize if I'm mispronouncing it, um, is something like, we're going to start, we're going to be the first in that line, you know, on that piece of paper, or whatever that is that family register for us. And so that's like a piece of Korean culture that I want to bring to our family and to our kids, because you know, I want them to see, I want them to have that lineage that they can look back on and that their kids can look back on. And that we can start because for me as an adoptee, you know, I some adoptees might be able to find that information. I have not. And I'm not going to say that I won't be able to, but I'm just thinking about it realistically and knowing that I'm probably going to have to start my own. And, you know, that can be hard. That'd be a hard thing to process for a lot of people. I'm, I'm assuming, and it's hard to come to grips with a little bit, but really lately, that's kind of what I've been thinking about is like, it's, it's a tangible way to pass that down, to pass culture down, and it's that first step in the foundation. And so, like getting the putting our names on there, and and having that be part of our family history now allows us to start going in and talking about culture more, and taking Korean lessons, and doing all these things that I never did as a child that I don't want my children, uh, my prospective children, to miss out on. So I think that's the motivator there.
0: Yeah, I don't know if any can... of that made
2: sense. Sorry. <laughs>
0: No, I think it made a lot of sense to me. I don't know if it's just because I'm currently pregnant or whatnot, but but I definitely also feel and understand a lot of what you were saying. I know for us, it started originally with just from a medical perspective, wanting to know if there was anything coming genetically, which thankfully I was able to find out when I did find my birth mom. But I think too, my husband is Jewish and he's not actively practicing uh, but he did grow up in the Jewish community and he had his bar mitzvah and his parents and his especially his paternal grandparents um, were very orthodox. So when we talked about having kids, we have all that information for acknowledging any Jewish culture that we want to pass on and practice as a family. But when it came to the Korean side, I, you know, think. Much like you, Patrick, I, don't, I didn't have anything. I didn't grow up with any Korean traditions or knowing about things. And when I thought about our daughter, I think I really wanted her to be able to grow up with a sense of pride in being Korean and, and being Asian and not grow up feeling as I did, where I was sort of ashamed of being Asian a lot of times. And I wanted to be able to explain to her... You know, these are the good things about being Korean. Here are our celebrations. Here are pieces of our culture, like folktales or food and all of those things that are good. And that's been, I think, my focus when I have started to delve more into looking at Korean heritage. I know I'll do more digging as far as history, but up front right now, it's more about things like holidays, celebrations, traditions. And the things that even though we might not be able to do in the most traditionally accurate way, <laughs> since I'm, you know, learning through books or talking to people, it's not that I grew up with them, but at least do them in our way as a family that works for us and for how we're blended.
2: Yeah, I think that's actually a really perfect way to describe it, I think, because I'm, I'm also, or I'm in a interracial a relationship and... My partner is Caucasian and, you know, I think it is, it's a blending of cultures. And I think that, you know, that's one of the reasons that we, I want to explore and why she's supportive of me in exploring that part of us or my part of myself, because it's, you know, it, it only enriches what we're able to pass down in terms of culture and, and like familial culture, you know, cause not only are we building, we're building a community within our family and then hopefully our kids, in the way that we model and teach them as they grow up, they'll be able to go out and not only build their own small communities, but then contribute back to the community in a way that enriches. So, I think that's another thing. You know, it's easy for me to sit here and just pass down all of the stuff that, not to like knock any of my past experiences in the way I grew up, but, you know, it's very much just, I don't know, it is unique and it's not, you know, and I think. The part of me that is unique will always be the my ethnicity and will also myself as a person. But my ethnicity plays a part in that. And they're going to look like that and and have and have those features reflected in, in themselves. And I think that blending those things together and, and making sure that you're able to pass that on to your kids and then your kids can pass that on. You know, I think that just uh, only enriches the world that we find ourselves in because that's what we're doing now is blending culture. That's all I'll say on that because I thought that you, I thought you said something really great, and I just wanted to go off of it. <laughs> so, but yeah, I love the, I love the, I love the blending for sure. I think
1: that's all really interesting, and you know, if we ever do this podcast for ten year more years, maybe I can give my story. Of- <laughs> yes,
0: <laughs> you're giving yourself a long timeline there. I, I mean, like it.
1: I'll be for uh, give me. I'm going to give myself ten years, and if I'm if I don't have kids by then then you know i'm i know i'm going to be single forever
0: oh, just kidding what? no i'm not.
1: <laughs> it's not it's not it's not that serious to me um but i do feel sometimes like today i ate um a bag of lay's potato chips for lunch and that's sometimes all the farther i can think about and i look at both of you and you're on a very different spectrum of discovering <laughs> your heritage, and, and uh, getting married and having kids. Um, I'm, I'm interested in knowing, too, uh, maybe we could all share a little bit where we kind of are on that spectrum, not in, in, in length, but uh, maybe why that's not always going to be the same progression for everyone.
0: Do you mean getting married and having kids?
1: <laughs> that, too. That too. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I, I think I meant more of um, you know getting more in tune and in touch and more accepting of your Korean heritage and or your adoption stories.
2: Yeah, well, first off, I want to say eating a bag of Lay's chips is no—it's no thing. I do that still, so don't <laughs> worry about it. That's no reflection on on you as a person at all or where you're at. It's a—it's a great place to be if I'm—if I can. I say have so no much. shame.
1: Ex- I, I have no shame.
2: Me either, my friend. Me either. Um, I think that as far as it comes uh, for me, where I'm at right now and connecting with the culture is—I'm very much take a historical approach to a lot of the things that I learn. So really taking in a lot of history, but wanting to focus a little bit more or shift my focus a little bit more to culture and like a lot of the triumphs of the Korean culture, because I think there's a lot of great things in there. And, you know, I want to learn those things. But to your second point about why people may not ever get to where maybe I am, or even just taking those first steps, it has a lot to do with the environments we grow up in and the narratives that surround the environments that we're in. Um, You know, I think that it's very easy for, someone to go through a trauma like adoption and then end up never wanting to connect. And honestly, that's okay. You know, if you don't get there, you don't get there because it's really hard and it's difficult to do that. So I think everybody's on their own journey. But yeah, I I think when you feel the time is right, then that's the time that you should do it and not a moment before because you should never have someone forcing you or pressuring you into taking these steps, whether it be your heritage culturally, or like adoption issues or or, or related things. So I think that no matter where you're at in your journey, that's where you're supposed to be. And if you can take steps forward, great. If not, that's okay, too. It'll be here for you whenever you can.
0: Mm -hmm. I would wholeheartedly agree. I would also say that it's completely fine if you start a journey or start moving in one direction and need to pivot or Adjust or even just stop. I mean, I think we've probably all had at some point an experience where we thought we were ready for something, got into it, and realized, oh man, this is too much, or this is not the right time, or this is more than I thought it was going to be. And I don't think there's anything wrong with taking a step back because ultimately we need to do what's best for us and just listen to our feelings and our bodies and go at our own pace, even if that means putting things down for a little while. 100%, 100%
2: Mm -hmm. agree with
1: that. So I feel maybe in some circles, maybe the ultimate goal is to go back to Korea and have this romanticized experience of reconnecting with your homeland and the culture and potentially your birth parents or family. That's not always going to be the case and maybe the goal for everyone. But what I thought was interesting when we had like a pre-call a couple of days ago, is we all were thinking about if and when, or if we decide to go back to Korea, what that experience would be like. But I, I also think that there's this interesting point that we should bring up that even though we were born in Korea, almost all of our life, we were raised in a very different community, in a very different lifestyle, a very different culture. And I'd love to hear from both of you too, how that's an interesting crossroads where we may not even feel relatable to the Korean culture.
2: I mean, I do think that we sit in this really unique space as Asians, as Americans, and then as adoptees. I think what you said at the beginning there about wanting to go back and having this view that could be romanticized about going back and connecting in that way um, is really accurate because, okay, speaking for myself personally, you know, growing up, I really wanted to... At first, I I had these pangs of wanting to, I think, go and connect. But because of the environment that I grew up in, it would almost stifle those each time they popped up. So I never had a chance to really unpack or explore those things. And so I think that where we sit in terms of like, and, and, and correct me if I'm not properly answering this question, but I think where we sit in terms of like being able to comment on the Korean culture or what's going on in the community right now You know, I think it's an important piece because it's an important voice to be had because so there's this quote floating around by uh, a username. Her name is Mrs. Kaelin Brown, and I'm going to butcher it. uh, But essentially, it says that it's difficult to process violence against someone who looks like you as a transracial adoptee when the person perpetrating that violence looks like your family. And I thought that was really poignant because that's where we sit. You know, we sit at this intersection, this crossroads of all of these different things. And that's me saying that as like a cis cis Asian male uh, who was adopted. There are people that identify much more deeply than with with a a lot of different uh, things than I do, you know, and that brings a whole bunch of other things into play. And so I think even if you're not connecting with culture in a way that's like you're learning about it a lot or you know you're feeling accepted into the community I think at the end of the day that doesn't necessarily matter because you are still ethnically Korean you are still ethnically Asian so your voice does matter in the conversation now contextually how you use your voice could be subject to scrutiny but I think at the end of the day you do have the right and the opportunity to use that voice if you want to to comment because you know we are still Asian at the end of the day whether we want to go connect or not or whether we've connected a little and stepped back or not i think it does i don't think any of that really comes into play when it comes to what we are truly ethnically which gives us the ability to comment on something like that and benny correct me if i did not answer your question of uh, I think just when I heard you ask it, I think that's kind of what what I was thinking about.
1: Yeah, I think what you all hit on is something that I was very interested in hearing. I'm also interested in hearing, too, on top of that, when you started exploring your Korean heritage, can you relate to it? Do you feel like that's part of you? Or to put it quite bluntly, do you feel that half of you is a certain thing and the other half is something else?
2: That's another great question. You're killing it on the questions, man. Or you're doing great on the questions. Sorry, I'm trying to do better with my language. Yes, yes and no. Some of the things that I learn or have been learning about, I do really connect with. So for the Adoptee Project, we explore history. First, it was adoption history in our respective country of of origin, but it's become more about the overall history in that country. Um, And how that's influenced adoption or how we perceive it or interpret it as influencing adoption and affecting us personally. And so one of the things that I've read about in Korean culture is this concept of Han, which a lot of people describe as like this really overwhelming sense of of a lot of emotions like anger, sadness, loneliness that is really hard to define and describe, but that almost every Korean person feels it. And it feels it in some way, shape or form. And I've been listening to this podcast put out by the Korea Society, which is just a collection of their lectures. And this professor, Michael Shin, gave a lecture about Han and defining it. And I made a post and broke down the concept of what he said. But essentially, he defined it as this loss of identity, which it just blew my mind when I heard that, because that instantly made me feel very Korean it made me mm-hmm. feel like I instantly connected with it because that's what I've been dealing with like my entire life. And when you talk to adoptees, particularly transracial adoptees, that's something that they deal with. And so to think that the entire country and going like the concept of Han is present, while Professor Shin considers it a little bit more modern, you know, it goes back, it dates back uh, hundreds and hundreds of years as being referenced in, in literature. And it's You know, it's a it's a part of Korea. And so to think that I've been feeling that and to kind of be able to define it a little bit as more than just emotion, it is those emotions, but it's a little bit more. It's this loss of identity. And for Korea, it's, you know, constant occupation, constant feelings of war, constant displacement, adoption. You know, it's a lot of different things, a lot of people feeling lost and and, and having their identity stripped away in the country where we were from. And so I think that's one of the things that's made me feel really connected in other ways. It's a lot harder. It's a lot harder to feel that connection kind of with the food. I don't know if the John Cheap boys are going to get mad at me, but um, (laughs) sometimes I just, I'm so, I'm so Americanized in in food in that way. Like my palate, that's where it goes. I'll, I'll try anything once, but my palate always goes back to like American foods. And so, Sorry to uh, my people. I love doing Korean foods and snacks and I will keep doing them, but uh, <laughs> I always will go back to a good old cheeseburger. So I think yes. I think it just really depends. And, you know, I think it, it depends on how much time uh, you're able to invest in that, because I think timing also plays a big role in how you're going to connect with something.
1: We're so happy that you could join us, Patrick. You're very talented. You're the founder of All Times our Local. You obviously have the John Chi Show, the co-creator of the Adopt You Projects, but you also have a SoundCloud.
0: <laughs> uh. Here it comes. All right. I
1: saw it on there. I uh, wasn't gonna bring it me.
0: up for the record. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna be
1: nice. Uh, can you give us a taste of what we should expect if we would ever visit your SoundCloud?
2: club? Yeah, I can give you I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I'm not gonna freestyle for you here on the podcast, unfortunately. I gotta save that exclusive for my own show. But uh I can give you a little taste. So for about 10 years, uh, I was a hip hop artist based in Indianapolis. I also went to San Diego for a year and did stuff out there. But yeah, essentially, I always really loved music, but was never like I couldn't sing. I was way too impatient to play an instrument. So I never really got into it that way. But my freshman year of college, long story short, one of my buddies was making everybody freestyle over this beat. And I went last and I did not want to do it. And I kind of liked it. I kind of liked it after I did it. Mm. So I just kind of ran with it. And I really liked to write. And that was a really big, honestly, it kind of makes sense now, but it was a really big outlet for me to really stretch my creative mind in a way that I'd never done before. So, honestly, it kind of got me prepared to what I'm doing now, which is a little bit more comprehensive writing, but writing lyrics and just spewing stream of consciousness out of my mind and my heart onto the page was great. And I really enjoyed it. So, I put out a lot of music over the course of 10 years. Um, not all of it great, but a lot of it I enjoy. So, it's always funny and fun to have that conversation. And I really enjoy when somebody's like, Yeah, you know, you're not too bad. But also yeah. <laughs> when you hear it, when you hear it, I know the very first thing that you'll say is you'll say, well, that doesn't sound like you because my, my no. rapping voice sounds a little bit different than my speaking voice. So I'll give you, that'll be, that's a little, a uh, little spoiler for you, but yeah, thank you for asking. <laughs>
0: Maybe, yeah. maybe our next episode will just be us listening for the first time to your SoundCloud <laughs> and giving our yes. our thoughts yes. oh my
2: gosh for you guys sure. gotta get a paywall up and put that one behind the paywall That's a good one. <laughs> that's a good bonus content right there
1: <laughs> what um who who influences right right now? you said you grew up loving hip hop what uh, uh what artists influenced you
2: oh uh, back in the day um very much kind of like the white kid getting into rap. Like that was when Eminem, like really when I started listening to music, it like Eminem came out. So I was very big into Eminem and like a, a lot of West Coast hip hop. I really enjoyed Wu-Tang growing up. But it wasn't until I was in college that I found a lot of the influences that influenced the type of music you'll hear on my account. So I was starting to do this when Kid Cudi first came out, when Drake first came out, before he was big. Um, right after like the Carter 3, Wale, a really big fan of Mickey Fax. If you never heard of him, go check him out. Super dope rapper. But yeah, those were my influences. But now I'm trying to get like way more into, I mean, I'm still kind of a kid at heart. I really liked Juice World, R.I.P. He was great. And Year the Ox, two Korean American rappers. They are really fire. Just released an album called Year of the Ox. Really, really great. So trying to find my way into a little bit more uh, Korean influences, and they are definitely one I can recommend if you like hip hop.
0: I'm curious what your feelings are about K-pop, since we're talking Korean heritage and music.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't I don't mind it. I'm very much a fan of music in general. Uh, usually, if you can give me a solid bop, I can, uh, I'm down for it. I think if you told 15-year-old Patrick that he would be listening to people like BTS or Blackpink or, like, Charlie XCX, like, he would not be very happy, and he would not believe you that he he would grow up and listen to that, but... I, I really enjoy it. Um, I'm still trying to diversify out of the main names within that genre. There's a playlist called Dalcom Cafe. They have a lot of different Korean artists and Asian artists, I think, on there. I don't think it's specifically Korean. That's not just K-pop. It, it goes across all genres. So definitely check that one out as well.
0: Benny, do you listen to K-pop when you're driving uh... 85 miles on <laughs> highway? Oh,
2: yeah. We got to hey, talk about hey, that hey, still. Hey, hey, no, hey.
1: No, we don't. No, we don't. No, we don't. <laughs> I already. My Colorado friends already think that I that I go way too fast, but I, I just think that Colorado <laughs> drivers drive way too slow and way too passive aggressively. So if we want to talk about that in a different episode, we could spend an hour on that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's it's funny that you mentioned all that stuff, Patrick, because uh, <laughs> we talked about this uh, intersectionality of you know our Korean heritage, but I also grew up with just like listening to. Blink-1 and A2 and corn and Red Holler Chip Peppers and uh, Eminem and Kid Cudi was a big influence on me. So first of all, we definitely have to exchange playlists in addition to your book list. (laughs) But uh, I also think that's another thing about being a transracial adoptee is that uh, I do feel connected to the the K-pop movement. I just haven't got into it yet. But I also enjoy and feel connected to a lot of the culture that's very American. And American culture comes from many other different origins as well. But I feel that's something that I feel really good about is that we have our own heritage that we can explore, and we're starting to a lot more, but also enjoy some of the things that all of our friends listened to growing up.
2: Yeah, man, I still listen to all the music that I listened to growing up. And I didn't just listen to hip hop. I was much more like an alternative rock kind of guy. Still listen to my favorite band after 20 years. Somehow they're still making music and it's still it's better than before. What is it? They're a band called Circa Survive. Okay, very much not rap, but very, very, very. Yeah,
1: I have the same sentiment because sometimes I'll put on like the Smashing Pumpkins or Bush I don't know. I kind of grew up in the grunge area. I was, I had like spiked hair. <laughs> uh, I was wearing the long sleeve t shirt underneath the short sleeve t shirt. Oh, yeah. Uh,
2: yeah. yeah I, Tom that was I, doing that.
1: I had ear piercings. I just, I just wanted it to be all of it. And some of that's like, oh, I just kind of want to fit in, but like also like, oh man, that's like kind of the
2: cool stuff growing up. But and that's, Andy, was driving like fun. 97.
0: No, I know I wasn't. <laughs> I know that the speed keeps going up. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh my gosh! I'm gonna have people knocking on my door. Yeah. Oh. I've only got. Uh, I only have one speeding ticket in Colorado, and although that's pretty, it's pretty good driving record, but I did get caught on a, a radar camera, and I'm like, oh, that's my dumb face on a photo in a letter from the police department. It's like I can't, e- I can't even fight this. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, lesson learned, wear sunglasses. <laughs> and I love
0: that that's your takeaway, not drive slower. Wear sunglasses. sunglasses. <laughs>
2: that's hilarious. I for love sure.
0: It. I just have one question for Patrick going back to the heritage exploration. And that would be what so far and everything that you've uncovered or discovered, what's been, aside from Han, like your favorite thing that you've come across?
2: Ooh, that's a good question. Um, my favorite thing? Uh, well, I know I said about, about the, uh, I said about that about the food, but I have enjoyed the food. Honestly, I think my favorite thing, and this is, it's really more of a profound thing, uh, but something that's really stuck with me is the resiliency of Korean women and the amount of work Korean women have done in within the culture and throughout history to not only kind of shape but to fight back and to establish a lot of different things i realized that you know korea was a patriarchal society for a long time we're matriarchal for a while until a lot of occupation started to happen but i think that's something that i've been thinking a lot about too and reading a lot about in march is just a lot of different women who did a lot of different things from a long time ago like ancient korean times to current times and i think That's really awesome because we live in a society where it's like really easy to just say the men did everything and the women did not do anything. And um, I think that's a global mindset for some reason, which is super unfortunate. And so to be able to find a lot of history about these really strong, amazing women who have done a lot of really incredible things has been Honestly, one of my favorite things because yeah, that's it, it's just it's it's not a man's world; it's a woman's world. If I'm being if I'm being totally honest, sorry, Benny, uh, it's no, it's for the no, it's I for agree. the ladies, one hundred percent. I agree. And at, but if seriously, you look at, you look in the history books and you look at all of these different things, and you're all you constantly, I think it's not surprising, um, or it shouldn't be surprising, to see how many different women have been instrumental. Uh, and the different things that that go on throughout cultures and society and then particularly in Korean society. So that, I think, has been the most exciting and fun part uh, that I've learned about so far because it's unique in a way, even though it shouldn't be. So it's, it's more making me very happy, I think.
1: Well, thank you for sharing, Patrick. We really appreciate you coming on to our podcast. I can say personally that I've learned so much just from talking to you for 50 minutes. <laughs> and... It's made me feel motivated to discover more of my Korean heritage, and I'm really excited to hear more from your worlds. And we'll put some links in the description on this podcast of how you can reach out to him. And also, Shanae and I are always here, too, for conversation. We're also currently accepting submissions if people want to share their stories as well. And we hope to have more of these conversations in the future and meet awesome, brilliant people like yourself.
2: Well, dang, Benny, I really appreciate that. It's been a really fun conversation. I feel like it hasn't really even been 50 minutes. I feel like it felt like that the other night. It was, we talked for like an hour and a half, and that was great. So. I'm really excited to follow along with you guys as you continue this journey. Congratulations on getting started. I think just throwing the first few episodes out there is the toughest part. And then after that, it's just keeping on the grind. So props to you guys for doing it. Not enough of our voices out there right now, but honestly, honored and humbled to just be able to hold space with you guys and have these conversations.
0: Thanks. And us too. And everybody also needs to check out the John Chi show. You guys have been an inspiration to us. That's for sure.
2: Well, I really appreciate that. I know the guys will appreciate that. I'm really bad at plugging our own stuff. So every time I go and do an appearance somewhere, I always forget to say, oh, yeah, I do this podcast. (laughs) So they get mad (laughs) about it. Uh, That's a a tip I'll give you guys. Don't forget to plug your own things. But uh, (laughs) I really appreciate you saying that, though, that that does mean a lot to us.
1: Yes, and we can't wait to watch more of your episodes because I'm interested in having some Korean snacks versus just some Lay's
2: barbecue for lunch. Definitely do it. We actually, I will make a quick announcement. We just hit over 100 s- subscribers on YouTube, so we have a customized YouTube link now. You can go to YouTube.com backslash John Chi Show, I believe. But yeah, that was um. that's something cool that happened I, that I wanted to share. <laughs>
0: I thought you were going to come out and say that you have a customized snack box that you can send to people. I was all excited. Not that the YouTube <laughs> channel, <legacy laughs> but I
1: was all <laughs> Yeah, come on, man.
2: I know. Well, I guess I will plug the, the Hello Korea box. That is a customized box that you can get uh, sent to you monthly. <laughs> oh my! While it's not ours, we have been fortunate enough to talk to Juliet, a wonderful woman who started that company. So, if you are looking for custom things, definitely go check them out.
0: Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you all next week.